to Teledyne Advanced Chemistry Systems Tech Talk podcast. Our goal is to bring you useful information and offer solutions for your applications and analytical needs. Teledyne Advanced Chemistry Systems represents a group of companies existing of Teledyne Techmar, Teledyne SeaTech, Teledyne Lehman Lab, and Teledyne Hastings. Welcome back to the Tax Talk podcast. Today we'll be discussing laser ablation. Our guest speaker is Damon Green, who is Vice President of Technology and the manager of the laser group at Teledyne SeaTech. Damon is going to tell us about laser ablation, what it is, a brief history, and some applications. To start off with a brief background on Damon, he's been working in the field of analytical chemistry since graduating from Liverpool University with a degree in geology. After undertaking a PhD in analytical geochemistry, he spent a year working as a postdoctorate at Montpellier University in France. Damon worked at Perkin Elmer as an ICPMS specialist before moving into the world of analytical laser ablation working first for New Wave Research and then moving across to SeaTech, where Damon has been for the past 12 years. Welcome, Damon. Thank you. So I'd like to start by um, asking you to give the viewers just a brief description or overview of what laser ablation ICPMS is. Sure. I mean, in essence, we're, we're firing a, a carefully optimized and controlled high power density laser at a sample um, and sort of blowing it up really. We're analyzing particles that are exploded out from the surface. The laser beams, they're typically in the order of 10 to maybe 100 microns in size, sometimes smaller, sometimes greater, but most of them are in that range. Uh, and the sample is normally ablated in a some kind of specially designed sample chamber, which is gas tight, uh, through which there's a stream of inert gas, usually argon or helium. Uh, and that does two things. It blows the aerosol particles away and into the ICP for analysis, most important bit, where we do the isotopic and elemental uh, analyses, uh, quickly determine the composition. Um, but secondly, the, there's a huge amount of energy released at the point where that laser hits the sample. There's actually a little microplasma generated on many samples, you can see. So by using the inert gas, we also have the advantage of removing all the oxidization reactions that may take place where, where that sample is getting so intensely hot, where, where the laser hits the sample. Uh, we want all the particles released, really, to be representative of, of the sample itself, so they're not in any way altered through any further reactions. So we want to measure the elements or the isotopes and not their oxides. So, okay, now that you've given a description of what laser ablation is, how about where it started? How did it get, um, not necessarily created, but sort of the history of how it is, is evolved to where it is today? It's actually quite a mature technology. Um, it sort of started out back in the mid-80s. Uh, Alan Gray at Surrey University demonstrated a rudimentary setup for laser ablation ICP work. Um, and very soon after, Aerosmith uh, published um, a paper looking at uh, a similar setup using infrared laser. And very soon after that, in the early 90s, uh, what was then VG Elemental, it's now part of Thermo, um, they launched what was called a microprobe, uh, which was probably the first commercial laser ablation system. Uh, somewhat basic. Um, two other companies soon followed. SeaTac, of course, was one of them. Uh, the other being Merchant Tech. They picked up on this technology and developed quite quickly some UV laser ablation systems uh, operating at 266 nanometer. 
Um, and then probably the late 90s was the next step change when we moved down in the UV to 213. Moving down in UV, moving down in the ultraviolet wavelengths to the lower wavelengths, broadly speaking, it generates better data. Uh, we have a better ablation of most materials to give us better ablation characteristics and better analytical capabilities. Um, and soon after that, you know, we, we started using eczema lasers at 193 as well. Um, at that point, so we're talking about the late 90s at this point, we've got a good selection really of 266, 213 and 193 lasers available. Not a lot changed really. The, the lasers improved, the lasers themselves improved to get better performance and better reliability, but relatively small and iterative steps. Uh, the next big step, I suppose, was in the early 2000s. Uh, as a paper by Sylvester et al. back in 2001, if I think if I remember correctly, and it, it showed the ability of a two-volume cell, um, two-volume sample chambers. Uh, and that made a massive difference to analytical data quality. Um, I won't bore you with the details, but it, it simply means you can get uh, better data more quickly, um, better sensitivities, better washout, uh, and overall better analytical uh, analytical data quality. Um, there are, that led to a number of designs. In the case of um, uh, photon machine CTAC, that gave us the Helix cell, for example, which was worked on for a number of years. Um, and again, iterative improvements, I suppose, to two-volume cells during that period. Before, um, there was a paper published, I think it was around 2013, by Wang et al., talking about what they called the tube cell design. Um, and that really started the path to developing what we now have with the cobalt cell, where we can deliver aerosols at incredible speed, milliseconds, single millisecond speed from ablating the sample to getting the, all that dust into the ICP for analysis, um, as well as providing us with a huge amount of flexibility to, to run applications that demand a slower flow. So when you're looking at, at development, the, the lasers were the first part of the development, the sample chambers were the second part, and those original single volume cells, you know, they could wash aerosols out in the order of 30 seconds to a minute. So from firing the laser to clearing that material into the ICP for analysis would take 30 seconds to a minute. A two volume cell, two volume cell, that would generate um, good analytical data in typically less than a second, about 700 milliseconds for most applications. And then the latest generation of fast cells, you can wash the aerosol completely through the system and analyze it in, in single milliseconds. Uh, and that opens up a lot of fascinating new application areas, such as elemental imaging, for example. Um, but when you're talking about single milliseconds, that's often too fast for a lot of analytical technology, the ICPs. So it's why flexibility and analytical robustness is so important. So we can easily configure these systems now to be flexible across a range of, of speeds from single milliseconds to over a second. So since the 1980s, we've gone to UV lasers, we've gone to faster and faster sample chambers, and now we're working to, to generate as much flexibility from, from one design. So that sounds like laser ablation is extremely fast, and it has also progressed so much over the years. It is a highly technical um, technique, and with that, it, it's it's been improving, improving over the years. It's really impressive how how things have evolved. Yeah, I think uh, when you look at where we are with it, it, it is a, a, a pretty mature technology now. It's pretty accepted as a, as a tool. A lot of the research now is in how you use it. You know, it's been brought in as a tool to run applications, whereas uh, 10 years ago, it was brought in really for, for raw, raw research and development. Uh, so now it's being used instead of 
a lot of projects where previously people were simply trying to understand how it worked. Now, it, now it's accepted that it works, and we're finding different ways of using it. How how does it compare to other techniques, like you know, laser versus other analytical techniques out there? Yeah. Um, I think one thing to say is that there, there is no one technique that does everything, um, uh, despite the fact I'd love laser ablation to be the only technique anyone would ever need. <laughs> um, it, it's often compared to uh, techniques like uh, scanning electron microscopy, FEM, uh, glow discharge, GDMS, XRF, spark emission, um, other solid sampling techniques or, or um, solid analysis techniques of sorts. Uh, everyone, these have their strengths, uh, in particular key application areas. What laser ablation offers, I think, is more flexibility uh, to use a ver- wider variety of materials. It doesn't have to be a conductive material, as with glow discharge. Um, doesn't have to be uh, available. It doesn't have to fit in a vacuum, for example, with, with some of the uh, X-ray techniques. Uh, and microscopy techniques. Uh, you can generate bulk analysis data, but you can also, if you want, generate micron scale resolution spatial data too. So I think um, as a tool, it has a huge amount of flexibility and a huge amount of capability at generating relatively low level analyses of uh, a wide variety of solid materials. So that actually is a great segue into the next question because you said that it it can do a lot, um, a wide range of things. But so when, what would people really use laser ablation for and, and why would they? What would be some advantages of using laser ablation over these other techniques? Yeah, well, when it all started out, as you mentioned at the beginning, my background is geology and geochemistry. Um, that's really where lasers were first brought into uh, common usage, shall we say, in the research labs. And even now you'll find most of these systems reside in in the earth science groups at various uh, academic and commercial institutes. Um, The reason is relatively simple. Analyzing rock samples is difficult. If you're looking for the chemical composition of a rock, well, you really need to digest that rock. And to do that, you've got to crush it, grind it into a powder, making sure there's no contamination as you're doing all these steps, split that powder into replicates, weigh them into vessels, open vessel digests, perhaps maybe using hydrofluoric and pathoric acid, nasty acids. Um, and also, you know, typically, you'd also do a, a number of the replicates with a flux and fuse them in a high-temperature furnace so you can get a full range of, of chemistries out of those samples. Um, in my own background as a geochemistry uh, PhD student, I think I performed well over a thousand digests. Um, it's time-consuming. It's it's uh, it's not particularly interesting work either. Uh, the interesting bit is what happens afterwards when you're running those as solutions to the ICP and then working up the data. Um, but even then, what you get, of course, is bulk chemistry for each sample. So when you can start to use a laser, it really simplifies the sample prep considerably. And there's no acids, of course. There's no weighing or furnace work needed. It's relatively quick and easy. And you need to put some thought to how you calibrate if you want fully quantitative data. Um, and I'd argue that's possibly always been a weakness of the technique. But over the years, particularly in recent years, there's quite a number of new reference materials have been developed and new calibration protocols have been developed specifically for laser work. So I'd argue that problem is far less of an issue now. Um, so the really the key advantage is flexibility. I mean, if, if you're looking to generate just very quick uh, semi-quant data, bulk data, you can do that very, very easily. Just effectively not quite throw a sample in the chamber and, and blast away, but not far from that. 
But similarly, if you want to interrogate a sample at single micron scale and build up some high-resolution elemental maps, uh, you can do that. You can see how chemistries change across, maybe with a you know, zircon um, mineral, for example, you can look at all the individual growth bands at micron scale, or you can look at zonation in, in crystals or different chemistries across um, certain boundaries in certain um, materials. Um, so it, it's it's incredibly flexible now. But really, I'd say the, the main advantage, I would argue, is, is speed compared to what we used to have to do before. Speed and the ability to get far more information out of the samples. So this is a really interesting technique and or laser ablation overall is very, very interesting. And it does so much. You can use it on so many different applications. You had mentioned um, rocks and different um, minerals, different uh, specimens of things. What is kind of it? It's the gamut of different applications. I know it's not just geochemistry applications. It, it covers a variety of of applications. That's true. Yeah, I mean, to date, most of the common applications, if you do literature reviews, for example, you'll find that the vast majority of geological or broadly environmental. And if you're looking at analyzing solid samples, obviously geology has got plenty to work on there. Um, but it, also, if you're looking at soil samples and so on, if you can press these things into pellets and solidify them, then you can analyze those relatively easily. So that, that, that's why it's, it's, there's a lot of uh, work being done in those fields. Um, and as I mentioned, it's, it's quicker, safer, and can give you all the spatial elements as well for those samples. But as the techniques evolved, and uh, I would say use the word mature, it, it is an accepted technique now. We know it works. It's been, been proven to, to generate good quality data across a wide range of material types. We're finding there's new application areas opening up. Um, I mean, right now, for example, there's quite a, a, a lot of interest in the field of what's generally termed bioimaging or metalomics, uh, looking at trace metal distributions in biological materials, you know, liver, liver samples, looking at uh, how how metals move around um, the body, for example, how they're related to disease, how they're related to drug development. Uh, there's a number of drugs on the market today, uh, the cancer drug that uses platinum, for example, as a, a key marker in the drug. Uh, and by looking at metals, you can actually have a, a build a great understanding of the role uh, that these metals play in diseases or, or, or drug treatments. Um, so, for example, there's a lot of work going on at the moment uh, looking at degenerative brain disease, Alzheimer's or Parkinson's, and to try and understand how metals have a role to play there. Um, there's a lot of work going on with Wilson's disease in the liver, looking at, at copper and its role. Um, so there's, there's a, I think there's quite a, a, a nice opportunity, really, to widen the, the brief of laser ablation and move um, into adjacent areas, I think, uh, bio being a, a really good one. But whatever happens, you know, talk about most commonly used applications, I think bio is a, a significant growth area for the technique, but geo is going to be there forever. I mean, it's, it's such a useful technology for the geo crowd that, that they will always be, uh, be playing around with these kind of systems. It's just so fascinating to learn and about all the different applications it can can cover. It's just amazing. And I'm sure science is just on the edge of what can laser ablation tell us and, and go from there. It's amazing. It's very fascinating. So for somebody that is in, interested in this technique and just trying to, to get their feet into the, into the industry, um, 
for somebody who's just entering into laser ablation, what would be some good tips for them since you've got such an, a, a history and knowledge with uh, laser ablation from your career path? Um, what, what tips could you give them as they're starting out or, or looking to get into the, this type of a, a field? Yeah, I'd say, uh, I think, I mean, right now, as long as a user's got a, a basic understanding of analytical chemistry um, and how to develop and, and run an ICP, a method on an ICPMS, um, then it, it's relatively easy to uh, adapt to the, the laser ablation technologies and, and generate some meaningful data. Um, there is quite a wide community out there, so there's a lot of people uh, all wanting to work together and help each other. It, it generally is, uh, a, I say, a relatively small community of experts globally, but everyone works together. Um, so if you've got a particular problem with a particular calibration, I can almost guarantee I can point you at someone who can help. Um, but one thing we are seeing now, you know, that's sort of the next phase of development of the systems is, uh, I think, software. And we're seeing a rapidly improving automation um, of the systems through software and the systems in this case being both the laser system and the ICP side of things. Um, there are challenges as you go to these fast systems that, that there's quite a few um, optimizations needed. You know, looking at repetition rate of the laser, the energy needed, how, how many times you're firing the laser at a particular spot, what dwell times you use on the ICPs and so on. It can get quite overwhelming, but automation seems to take care of that in software. So we can automatically set the parameters on the laser and we're working to do something similar with the mass spec and we're, we're close to achieving, I would argue, complete automation of the system and a simple integrated tool. Um, not quite to the red or green button stage yet, but that's the intent. We're going to get up there. So right now, I think we've got automated wizards for ICP and laser software. We've got automated data processing options. Um, and over the next few years, we'll be developing these further um, and looking for a, what I call a truly integrated package, really, that's as simple to use as possible without compromising any of the flexibility. Um, I think it's generally are some exciting times ahead, but as, as long as you know, you've got a, a, a head around what, what the analytical requirements are and how to how analytical chemistry can be applied to your application, then I think you're, you're in a sound place to make full use of, of laser ablation. Sounds like software might be a great idea for a future podcast. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> so um, are there, there good resources or places for somebody to go to learn more? Um, I know that CTEC has plenty of, of webinar recordings and resources on their website. Didn't know if there was an association or anything that they could align with or groups to to reach out to for any additional information aside from CTEC? Yeah, I mean, uh, there, there are online resources. I mean, there's, there's sort of uh, web resources like Plasma Chem and so on where there's a, a good uh, dialogue on general ICP chemistry uh, and how to, to, to run systems there. Um, I say that if, if you also look on YouTube, you'll find there are recordings from webinars that, that have been given over the, the past year or two, particularly during lockdown, where there's a lot of focus on remote presentations and remote workshops and so on. Um, obviously, CTAC have, have uh, posted a few of those. There's a good one on, I think it would be called it Laser Ablation 101, just giving some basics to the technique. Um, other groups have done the same. I mean, if you do, do a search online, you'll find a lot of information there. Uh, there's a very good uh, media 
um, output from the group in Arizona, Arizona Laser Cron. If you do some, some searching for that on YouTube, there's a lot of resources out there. But ultimately, if anyone's interested, talk to us. We're, we're happy to spend time and explain. Um, it it's a, truly is a, a fascinating technique, and uh, we, we'd love to share it all with you. Well, that's great. I'll, I'll make sure that we include a way to reach us on the, um, the podcast notes so um, anybody who's looking can reach out to us. So, Damon, I want to thank you. That was really interesting. Laser ablation is a very, very interesting technique, and I could talk for a long time about it. It's, it's just the, the applications are, are very interesting to learn about. So thank you for your time today. And I'm sure that our listeners have have learned a lot about laser ablation, a good good introduction for them. And again, we'll put some some links on the podcast notes where they can reach out to us or download some other resources available. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Tax Tech Talk podcast. For more information about our products and the solutions we offer, please visit www.teledyneacs.com. If you like this podcast, please make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're hearing this show. That way you'll never miss an episode. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you again next time.